Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 382.AC0212, certificate number 48261. Droodles. This uh, might be titled, An Elephant Giving an Ant a Friendly Pat on the Back. But the real official title of this is a raisin making an acceptance speech at a raisin convention. You and I have wanted to put droodles in the omnibus for a long time. Yes. In fact, I think it was your show topic, and I just snagged it. You me. loved it so much that you were like, droodles. <laughs> Give me droodles. <laughs> I'll trade mine. you anything. It was after you stole Plymouth Rock and <laughs> something else from my list. I was like, I'm taking John's droodles. You have never even seen Plymouth Rock. I lived Plymouth Rock. Well, that's what happened here. Like, I realized I had a deep personal connection to droodles that I did not know. Because you and I were like, what were the, we didn't even say droodles. We said, what were the names of those weird <laughs> 50s drawings that Frank Zappa liked? And we yeah. were like, yeah, those, whatever they're called. Yeah, how too late to save a drowning witch. That should be a thing. Because uh, the, the show is pretty much us forgetting the names of things. <laughs> no, we just look it up on Wikipedia and then edit out the part where we looked stuff we're up. We're like, well, well, what was the thing? Yeah. Uh, I found out that my friend Fritz has just edited in our time, mm-hmm. the early 21st century, has just edited a definitive co- compendium of these 1950s droodles. Which were all created by a different person. Yes. He is, uh, so that's what surprised me. Like, so I know Fritz from Jeopardy. He's a Jeopardy Tournament of Champions winner. Like all my friends. Uh-huh. Could we do Could we do an entire year of Omnibus where we just picked topics that were the strange picadillos of like people of Jeopardy that winners? won Jeopardy a couple of times? Like like weird uh, sex things? Mm. Like we'll go, we'll go down the list by name. I didn't realize that any of you had weird sex things. No, they probably like don't. The, largely the sexless group of people. Did you say <laughs> sexless? <laughs> I hate how every news story about Jeopardy has sexlessist in the lead. <laughs> Come on. Come up with a new word. It's the, yeah, it's the eunuch quiz show. Uh, he was, uh, he's a guy I knew, like, uh, I spoke at Google once and he, he interviewed me because he was the, he was a Jeopardy MVP type, but he was oh. also a, 
Google MVP. A writer, yeah, a writer at, at Google. Like a content strategist, which is what I guess they call writers at Google. <laughs> I, I had a friend that did that at Microsoft. He was a content strategist. Love to strategize content. Like sometimes when the muse strikes, you just got to sit down and strategize, <laughs> strategize, strategize some content. Do you ever just pick up your guitar and strategize <laughs> some chords? That's all I do now. <laughs> it's not how I used to write songs. So Fritz Holznagel. Fritz Holznagel, who, you know, I had no idea would be coming out with a book about this 1950s fad I kind of love. He, uh, the last thing I talked to him about was he was becoming a guru of uh, the Jeopardy signaling device. Uh, is this like one of those Cold War uh, signal stations? <laughs> yeah, he's like a number station. If you turn your radio to Google... He's like, 79, <laughs> 79. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's the buzzer. Everybody calls it the buzzer. Oh. But tr you've never seen the show, apparently. Trebek will always say, put down your signaling devices. Is that really what he says? Yeah, there's no... That sounds like a content strategist. Tre <laughs> what a weird... What a weird... He's from a simpler time. You know, the, in the past, they do things differently. And Trebek will always say, on last night's program... Like, no one has said program on American television. <laughs> Since Walter Cronkite retired. Why is he, why is Alex Trebek referring to last night's program? Oh, because if somebody won and then they came yeah. on again. And of I course see. it's all a fraud. Like after, you know, the show ends in five minutes, the winner puts on a new blouse and Alex puts on a new suit and then boom, you're right back out there. And Alex lies to everyone and says, Ugh. on last night's program, <laughs> on yesterday's program, maybe he has to say it yesterday because some markets Jeopardy airs during the day. I bet that's true. Well, it's on Armed Forces Radio at like 10 in the morning, right? Mo yeah, I just, I was looking at this online because there's a, you know, in our current time, there was a lot of talk recently about this new champion that was making a run at the record. Right. And everybody was very interested in, I think, Mobile, Alabama, which airs Jeopardy at 10 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> because at that point- Right the, before the, dinner. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag now. Once, <laughs> once Al, you know, obviously how many people in Alabama are watching Jeopardy at, a lot, at 10 a.m.? I imagine. Really? Jeopardy? Yeah. yeah. No, they're all watching Prices Right. <laughs> Alabama? <laughs> sure. Are you kidding me? I mean, you know, Alabama is the, one of the, I would say, maybe the most erudite of the southern states. You got in trouble with southerners before, and now you're not messing around. <laughs> yeah, Atticus Finch types, right? Yeah, that's right. They're, go, they're, going, they're sauntering into work late because they watch Jeopardy. They're fanning themselves with their large white hats. Scout, come away from the window. It's time for Jeopardy. Uh, why were we talking about this? Oh, but somewhere in Okinawa actually airs Jeopardy, like for the, for the Navy guys. Oh, that's on the, uh, yeah. And they're on the other side of the timeline. Right, so it's right? already tomorrow. Oh. Like Okinawa has already seen tomorrow's Jeopardy. So they are our, they are our quiz show time travelers. Twitter screws all of this up, doesn't it? It does. Jeopardy never had to worry before. And now like, I'm going to join the Navy just so I can see Jeopardy <laughs> 18 hours early. <laughs> anyway, he did a, Fritz Holtznagel wrote a, a monograph on the Jeopardy buzzer. He spent all this time researching it. He built his own replica buzzer that can plug into a USB port on your computer. And he built a website so that he could try different strategies for, for, jet, for buzzing speed. Is there some kind of proprietary signaling interior to those things that they're not just a regular button. Yeah. Jeopardy doesn't buy them on eBay from a high school quiz bowl tournament. They're, they're made by a, they're made by a guy with a big furry mustache. <laughs> There's an old guy with a soldering iron <laughs> and a, and a green uh, acetate visor thing. I do it one way. I'm the only <laughs> man that can. Uh, I, I assume it's proprietary, but he's kind of just duplicating to the best of his ability what he's held in his hand and seen on TV. I see. And he was just trying to get faster and share strategies. For, and he sent me a replica. I have a replica Jeopardy buzzer. Really? In my desk drawer. 
Are you still the fastest gun in the West? <laughs> well, you can't you can't go online and play against people. Really? I'm, that should be a thing. I'm almost certainly not the fastest gun in the West because I'm 45. But uh, but he, you know, that's that's his idea. He was like, I'm going back on Jeopardy for a term. I'm now in my 50s. How am I going to keep up with all these young Red Bull swinging a-holes? Wait a minute. Are you telling me that Jeopardy buzzer keying is a thing like Major League Baseball where you would get old and your reaction times would be slow and that it would be noticeable enough that it would affect the game? Yeah, because it's, it's fractions of a second. Wow. Like on Jeopardy, you can buzz when... This is not, has nothing to do with Drudels. I, I, let me reassure the future. Oh, well. The well, people who, well uh, let me be the judge of that. The people who like the long entries are uh, are loving this right now. The uh, you can't buzz in when you know it. You have to buzz in when Alex finishes reading the question and some mysterious guy somewhere activates your device. Oh. And so if you buzz in early, you actually lock yourself out for I don't know what it is, a quarter of a second or something. So it's not even the buzzer that you're trying to anticipate. It's some guy. Yes, it's Trebek's voice. And this guy's been doing this for years. So it's really you just being in Alex's head and his head. You're having this big communal LSD. (laughs) Sexlessist? You're you're all like kind of keying on Alex. And you're like, this guy's probably going to press the button. Pause now. And, you know, wow. some days you can do it and some days you can't. And you don't know if you were early or late unless they come up and say, Ken, you're early every time. You need to take a breath. And, and do they? They'll coach people at the commercial if people are struggling because they, they don't like people to just be wailing away on that button. And right, right, right. Because you'll see it on TV sometimes. People get frustrated and they're holding their buzzer in the air like, Alex, it's not working. Yeah. Uh, it is working. They're just probably too early. You get keyed up. You get adrenalized. And uh, there are a set of lights you can see. So there's when the buzzer becomes live. So oh. either you're reacting to the lights or you're trying to anticipate the lights, depending on what school of thought you're in. I get it. And my friend Fritz wrote a, a monograph for people. You know, here's what you should do. Here's what I did. I took my reaction time from 0.28 seconds to 0.16. Uh, here's what you do. You know, hold very steady. You know, it's almost like teaching somebody to fire a gun. Did you he know? publish this on Medium or did, <laughs> is this a thing that... It's an 806-page hardcover book, <laughs> leather-bound... <laughs> Uh, he, yeah, you know, he's handwriting them like a monk. He's, <laughs> he's illuminating, <laughs> illuminating with a big, the... big capital J on Jeopardy. Does he have little dirty pictures in the, in the margins? Oh, yeah. Spy versus spy. I told you, all these guys <laughs> have weird fetishes. Uh, no, it's a, I'm sure, I think it was an e-publication. Um, but people were downloading this book. And the, the new guy who was on Jeopardy earlier this year, he, uh, he was a student of Fritz Holtznagel, and that's how, where his buzz, a lot of his buzzer mojo comes from. Interesting. I think. So that's, that was my last talking to Fritz. But when he sent me this book, when I told him, hey, uh, you just did a book on droodles. I love droodles. He sent me a copy of the book. And uh, he's a fan of Omnibus, by the way. He said he, oh, liked, he liked the Hotel Detectives. Hi, Fritz. Hi, Fritz. He, I looked him up and I did not know any of this about him. He has like the weirdest career. In addition to being a writer of books about 50s fads, apparently, mm-hmm. and the world's living monographist on... Monog- is that right? Monographer? That's what Mon- I would say. Monographer? Mono- monographist. Monographer sounds too much like pornographer. Hmm. He's the new monographer. <laughs> the new monographer. <laughs> Morographer. Uh, that's right. He's a he, bu- buzzerographer. He, uh, he has a, uh, an Emmy he won in the 1990s Whoa. for, this is going to be so great, a claymation Easter special by omnibus perennial Will Vinton, the California Raisins guy. I'm so impressed. He won the Emmy for, for doing what job? I think he was a writer on this thing. A content to strategist on Yeah, it. he strategized some, some singing. Uh, I don't know what an Easter claymation station, uh, uh, special looks like. Wow. I assume very little claymation Jesus, plenty of claymation 
rabbits and ducks. What would be the least amount of contribution to a production that won an Emmy that would make you proud rather than embarrassed? <laughs> right? Like, uh, like I I've, feel like I wouldn't care. Like if I have the statuette, that is the only bar. I have a couple of different friends that have won Grammy awards for best packaging. <laughs> I know two people personally that have that. That's their Grammy. Best I, I'm packaging. guessing that one's not on the telecast, right? <laughs> it's not on the telecast. At an earlier banquet. <laughs> and the, that banquet is emceed by like Art Garfunkel or something. <laughs> but like having the Grammy on the wall or up on the mantle is pretty great. But it leads to questions, I guess. And then you have yeah. to say, it's for, it's for, I guess what you say is packaging. there's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what I would do. But like, uh, when, have you done, have you done the local television program? Uh, I, you probably wouldn't have because it's, it's kind of rock and rolly, but there's a public access station here run by the city that has like a cool rock program. And I have not done the cool rock program. Whenever I, cool, you know, whenever I go down to the studio, cause I've done it a few times, they have a wall of daytime Emmy awards. Just a wall of them. And I was admiring one, admiring them one day and somebody there, the host of the show said, would you like one? Like <laughs> we got so many of them here. Uh, we'll happily give you one. And I was like, I, I think I'd be embarrassed to just get like a, one of your. Cause then what is the story? Some guy gave it to me like, Hey John, you got a Grammy, you got a Emmy on your mantelpiece. Yeah. yeah. The guy gave it to done me. It the thing when my wife yeah. and I lived in Salt Lake city, we used to go down to uh, the, there's a Shakespeare festival at Southern Utah university where they've got a replica globe theater and it's not bad. It's not as good as in Salt Lake, Ashland, Oregon. No, it's like Southern Utah, like Cedar city, Utah. Oh, uh, like almost all the way to Vegas. The London of Utah. <laughs> That's right. Where, where would you expect there to be a Globe Theater replica? Cedar City, Utah, of course. It's just been there forever. And, uh, you know, if you go early in the day, there will be people, jesters saying huzzah on the green. Oh, yeah. And people playing the lute while they slice your prime rib and stuff. There are a lot of futurelings listening right now who are like, yes. <laughs> we need to start this. Because it's for all, you know, the ret the retirees. I almost said retirees in a very weird way, by the way. Ret I almost say retiree, which I don't <laughs> like. <laughs> the show is melting both of our brains. <laughs> uh, the You know, it's the, the old folks who would love to, oh, they're doing as you like it, honey. You know, sure. that, that kind of crowd. And in the lobby, they had like a regional Tony but they were, and that's, you know, in Southern Utah, to have a regional Tony is big news. Yes. But it's a regional Tony. No, there were regional Tonys. <laughs> exactly. I don't think anyone knows. When you win one, that's when you find out. From the Four Corners area. But it's, exactly. This is actually in Southwest Utah. So it's a different corner. Oh, I see. Right. Oh. Uh, is there a name for the Southwest corner the Southwest of Utah? Corner. Three corners. Uh, it's called uh, Area 51. <laughs> it's California, Arizona, and Nevada. So it kind of is the three corners. You're pretty close to California. Oh, no. Wait. Utah, Arizona. Yeah. Utah, yeah. Arizona, Nevada. There we go. It would have to be Utah. There's no California there. There's a, but there's a, you know, there's a, there was a huge display, like, a, you know, like a, oh. like the, the place where the, you know, the, the armed guards surrounding this mylar, this big, bulletproof thing containing their regional Tony. Was Catherine Zeta-Jones trying to steal it in the <laughs> middle of the night? She was slinking through <laughs> lasers. I've always wanted a regional Tony. Anyway, so this, uh, so Fritz's TV career evidently included the children's TV program, which he did not win a Emmy for. He was uh, an Emmy for. He was an assistant director on We Sing huh. with two E's. Are you familiar with this uh, children's music program? Vaguely. It, it predated the appearance of my own child, so. Yeah, it postdated my childhood and predated my children. Yeah. So it's, it, for me also, it's in that gap. But I think it's some kind of 
just kids singing Farmer and the Doll together show. Right. And it was a book property. So the publisher's daughter, he said, was there, Claudia Sloan. And he quickly realized Claudia Sloan was the daughter of Larry Sloan, of Price Stern Sloan, the longtime publishers of kind of odd book-like things. Oh. Most famously, Mad Libs. <clears throat> oh, Mad Libs. And Sniglets, probably. Did they do Sniglets? There, you know, there are a ton of van, you know, kind of um, comedy fad books that were not Price Turn Sloan. Like, they did the ones that were not, that were, you weren't quite sure were books. Yeah, they're always on newsprint. So they sold 150 million copies of Mad Libs, which, wow. it, which should probably be its own omnibus at some point. 150 million? That puts it in the rank of one it, of the top-selling books of all time. It's straight up J.K. Rowling, <laughs> Agatha Christie, the Bible territory. Incredible. Right? Although, how many copies of Mad Libs have I had over the years? Like, right. more than a few. And always the first two or three are filled in, mm -hmm. in pencil from the car trip, and then the rest of the book is empty. Nobody actually wanted to do 30 Incredible Hulk-themed Mad Libs, <laughs> or Knight Rider-themed Mad Libs. <laughs> Uh, it's a, but it's a funny story. These two guys, Roger Price and Leonard Stern were writing partners and one of them was trying to knock out a script for the honeymooners. Uh -huh. And I guess, uh, Roger Price walks in and Leonard says, Hey, I need an adjective. Cause he's trying to figure out how to describe something. And, uh, his quick thinking comedian friend, Roger Price says clumsy and naked. And he just starts laughing. Why are you laughing? I'm trying to describe Ra Ralph Cramden's boss's nose is now Ralph Cramden's clumsy at boss's clumsy and naked nose. And so they immediately are like, whoa, light bulb. This is a party game. So they did it with their friends. And now in, uh, I looked at, I looked at Mad Libs in Wikipedia just to get the sales number. They call it a phrasal template game. Phrasal template. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love getting with your friends and playing some phrasal template <laughs> well, games? What's crazy is I've been playing Mad Libs with my eight-year-old uh -huh. and <clears throat> eight-year-olds are pretty literal. And so you say, you know, you give them this, like, give me an adjective, give me a, give me a noun, give me a verb. And they give you really, really straight versions of adjectives, <laughs> nouns, and verbs. And Sad. Then, then you put them into, Red. Yeah, you put them into the Mad Lib and it just reads like a, like kind of a boring paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, the sad dog went to the store. Give mm. me a preposition. Uh, hereupon. The, uh, the thing, a lesson I learned as a kid was you very quickly just start saying, Toilets. <laughs> exactly. Stinky. Boner. Boobs. <laughs> and then the Mad Lib comes alive. <laughs> then it's all about Knight Rider's boobs. Uh, but the success of Mad Libs led uh, these two friends, Price and Stern, with their friend Sloan, to found a publishing house in L.A. where nobody ever founds a publishing house. Oh, right. That's not a big publishing town. No, it was a weird thing. But they were incredibly successful, not just with Mad Libs, but with a bunch of these other book-adjacent properties like the We Sing right. uh, songbooks for kids. But also, um, do you remember Serendipity? Of course. These bright, maybe this should be an entry. Brightly watercolored 18-page children's stories about a little animal learning a lesson or something. Yeah. With text on one page and a picture on the other. And of course, there's a Seattle connection. Do you know the Seattle connection? No. Uh, the the Weedle on the Needle. Oh, I know Weedle on the Needle. There was a Serendipity book about uh, a, a little Sasquatch that, He's got a red nose. He's an orange sort of Sasquatch with a red nose. And, and I, is he kicked out because of his red nose? Is there a Rudolph vibe? There's, there is some kind of vibe like he, that. He ends up on top of the Space Needle. And that's the little... That's red, why there's a light. Yeah, there's a little red blinking light on top of the Space Needle. So the local lore, you'd always tell your kids, 
I don't know, did you hear this as a kid? My parents were always like, look, you could see the Weedle when we were on the freeway. Not only did I hear it as a kid, but there was one Christmas at Frederick and Nelson when you would go sit on Santa's lap. This is in 70, I don't know, five maybe. And there was a Weedle. <laughs> like, like, a, a, like, like a big mascot like Weedle? Like a person inside a big Weedle suit who was there with Santa. It may have been because I think the Weedle at that time was the mascot for the Sonics. Whoa. Like you'd go to a Sonics game and it would be the Weedle. Like this must have kept, I mean, maybe Serendipity was selling Mad Libs numbers, but like in the Northwest, those books were huge. I think it's a, I think it also, um, Seattle was a foggier town then. So <laughs> before climate change, before climate change turned the entire world into a hot desert. So there was kind of a mystery to what the blue yeah, light was. You'd drive around and you'd look up and there'd be, you'd see part of the space needle. And then up in the clouds, there would be this, this red flashing light. So because now, if you looked up there as a kid, you'd be like, no, That's it's a radio tower. <laughs> right. But back then, the, the, it seemed to me that the Space Needle was always kind of shrouded in mist. Well, maybe it was just shrouded in the mystery of the effects of this book. You know, it's like the, in the Edward Scissorhands town where when it snows, the kids say that it's Edward Scissorhands sawing up ice sculptures, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like the kids in Seattle were always like, maybe that's the Weedle up there. What's... <laughs> It's a weird story. Why, did, why is he on top of the Space Needle? He never gets to go inside. You, um, never, you never see him move. Who feeds him? I mean, you know, the Space Needle was pretty interesting here. Well, I'm, I'm thinking 1975, what am I thinking? The Space Needle was like just a little over yeah, 10 years, like old. years old. It was still like a crazy thing. And, uh, and maybe there was a Sasquatch up there. There used to be, I think, a noticeable uptick in UFO sightings when, uh, when it was foggy. And people were coming over the Aurora Bridge, and you could just see the space needles floating above the yeah, Queen sticking Anne. up over Queen Anne. And uh, so, when it, on foggy days, they would get they would get a ton of UFO sightings from people that saw it every day. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I drive across. I drove across Aurora Bridge to get here today. Yeah, it's a cloudy day. I yes. saw the Space Needle. Do you know what I did not do? I did not call <laughs> the Air Force. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's where that always is. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout i think the i think um price turn sloan also published those mr men books hmm. while we're doing 70s and 80s mini publishing fads. Do you remember those? Mm -mm. These little cartoon, it was a British series, these little cartoon guys, Mr. Tickle, Mr. Handsome. Oh, oh of course. Mr. Oh, yeah, we have those here. Little Miss Chatterbox. Yeah, kid, don't kids still have these? Yeah, and, I, and we have a Weedle on the Needle. It's probably in one, on one of these shelves right here. So these guys make, I guess, they do very well selling their little pamphlet-like things. When I was a kid, I had a Price Turn Sloan book called uh, Typewriter Art. 
uh-huh. by a guy named Dan Karlinski who did like everything from very simple kind of hieroglyphics to very like complicated shadings all done on a typewriter. And, you know, sometimes he would use the ribbon, manually use the ribbon for highlights or washes or... But he would type he and would, then he yeah. would sort of backspace back, and type Because back over then again. you could move it and over and type on it. It wasn't those IBM Selectric, you know, he could... He could turn it to wherever he wanted and put the character. So, you know. Uh, I have four typewriters like that within 100 feet of where we're sitting. Should we go on out? <laughs> and it's, the, it's like it's the ASCII art discovery that you can get light, a light shading by, uh, by using a field of periods, but dark shading by using a field of, what's dark? A K's percent sign or, or yeah, capital K. or so, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this book was actually by Dan Karlinski, who I later interviewed because he invented trivia in the 60s as a Columbia uni- or 50s as a Columbia University kid invented it like here's he, a thing he invented it as a publishing phenomenon like there had already been radio quiz shows but he was like what if this was all about boomer crap what if this was like do you remember the name of Tonto's horse right. and howdy duty's um penis right or or whatever wait and, a minute uh, I don't think that was one. That was probably not one of them. But they, you know, these guys would all do this at Columbia, you know, remembering their 50s childhoods and it turned into, he got a book deal and then it, you know, became a board game in the 80s. And I wonder if, because <clears throat> one of the most popular games in uh, in my uh, rock friend group here in Seattle is, what was the band where the guy <laughs> from the other band was now the bass And then somebody would be like, oh, that was uh, Pleasure Elite. And are you these go, like, oh, that's right. Are these kind of like unsigned local yeah. bands? It was yeah. like, remember our friend's third band or whatever. Tons right? and tons of local bands that only we would remember, but that, that played like significant, significant roles in, in the music scene at the time. So there's a group of about five or six friends I have that are all roughly my age that remember the late eighties, early nineties rock bands. And it's a, I swear to you, a number one, f- uh, fun game for us. How ungoogleable are these answers? Like pretty could, ungoogleable. That's awesome. Cause none of these bands ever, ever rose above the, the Merc, but we all played shows with them or went to shows where we saw them. And, uh, and so, and we can generally come up with the name like, uh, and it's, we're not, we're not talking about bands like, like flop that everybody knows it's bands like, Helltrout or... I feel like most listeners, for them, Flop and Helltrout are, are, are interchangeable at this Right, point. right, right, right. Sure. I'm not... Futurelings are not like, oh, Flop, although maybe, they may be. Maybe. <laughs> that was exactly the appeal of trivia as a 60s fad. It was all these kids sitting together in the common room at their dorms being like, oh yeah, what was the name? Because it was the first time that a, a, a cohort of American youth had had a shared childhood culture. Right, of course. Because, you know, radio and TV had kind of created that. There was no... Inter, you know, national culture before that. I guess you could talk about Tom Swift books they were all reading right, or, or the, something. Or uh, The Shadow. Yeah, but yeah, but before radio, there wasn't a thing. Yeah, I guess, right. yeah, pulp magazines, I guess. But Sheet fu- music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody was, what was the name of that song about Panama hats? Uh, this is when you do your automobile, automobile thing. Automobile, automobile. So anyway, Pryster and Sloan uh, becomes a, a going concern on series like this. But Roger Price, the co-creator of Mad Libs, his first publishing phenomenon was Droodles. We finally got there. Which was a term he coined? Yes. And here's the thing. He, it was a portmanteau, get this, for drawn doodle. Hmm. Seems like it's a little bit of a, of a re- recursion. Yeah, I have an issue with that. Are it all doodles drawn? <laughs> <laughs> now, you've seen doodles before. But here's one that's drawn. <laughs> now, how much would you pay? Drawn droodles. It's very satisfying to say droodles if yeah. you really put your put the accent on the L. If, if you say droodles, D R O O D, 
Drew, like, like, are you saying it has to be a clear L? Like you're a <laughs> yeah, droodles, droodles. Like, dra- like you're saying dreidel? Like dreidel. I have a little droodle. I, I made it out of and clay. I, and I don't know what that is that uh, there's a, there, surely like a, uh, a term for the little, the little glottal at the end of droodle. 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 I as mean, opposed it's, it's, to droodles. It, well, it's a, it's a dark L in that you say it with your, the tip of your tongue. Uh, oh. Oh. If the tip of your tongue touches your mouth, uh, mm. like you're a Spaniard or an Italian. Yeah. La leche. La leche. La leche. That's uh, a clear L. Oh is kind of more back in your throat. I see. Thank you. You uh, know, I, I should say to futurelings that whenever I open, whenever I don't know the pronunciation of something and I open a dictionary and point to the the strange glyphs the upside down in the, letters in the pronunciations, stuff. I can always like turn the book to Ken and he will, he can read those things in real time. He doesn't have to sound them out. You have math anxiety, but for, um, IPA symbols. I can't, I, I look at them and I'm just like, it just looks like a, like one of those it's, fake alien languages. There's, there's dots over <laughs> letters that shouldn't have dots. And Ken just reads it. It's really a, a pr- cool skill. Just imagine it's a heavy metal band, you know? Yeah. Um, Roger Price was an interesting guy. He's, you know, as you can tell from the list of things these people published. And, it, you know, it's kind of like looking at Fritz Holznagel's recipe, uh, recipe, resume. Yeah. Maybe looking at his res- recipes too. <laughs> like these Jeopardy people are all these kind of multi-talented Renaissance women and men who, you know, in Fritz's yeah. case can hold down a nice, a good paying job at Google. But right. But they often Not are, true in all cases. They're right? astrophysicists as well as being trivia nerds. Right. right. But some of them really do just have a lot of projects going on and they're Mensa meeting to go to. And, you know, it's not clear how they're paying the rent. So I have a book here, uh, The Ultimate Droodles uh, Compendium, by, uh, annotated by uh, uh, Fritz Holznagel. Mm-hmm. And are you saying that these drawings are the original drawings of Roger Price? S- some were reader submissions. Uh, here's what happened. So, he, you know, he has this weird background where he goes to an art academy. He likes art from a very young age. He can draw. But then somehow he gets into radio and, be, you know, starts writing and he gets a big break writing gags for Bob Hope, this guy who never wrote his own jokes. That is a big break. Yeah, I don't know. Nobody really, I guess nobody, it's not clear how he gets this job, but uh, suddenly he's one of Bob Hope's dozen writers. You know, and Bob Hope just wants 20 gags a day. Well, that's how you get the job, right? You, you, ha- you, you make a list of 100 gags, you send them in. And then if, and if Bob Hope's like, likes him, he says, write me 50 more gags. This is ex- people will do this today. People will send 20 jokes to Jimmy Fallon or something. Yeah. And I think you and I know people who write on these staffs and, uh, we do. there's somebody on the staff who will send them a list of, of, uh, setup lines, which is just weird stuff in the news yesterday. Hey, Paul, Paul, did you hear about this? Did you hear that they've approved a new drug for, uh, you know, uh, you know, or just something that happened in the news? Yeah. Did you hear what, uh, what the president did yesterday, Paul? And then... These people have to write the end of the joke. It's Mad Libs, basically, except they get to see the setup. It's great. I'm always so impressed by comedy writers because, like, like telling jokes, being fun, being funny is pretty easy. In a conversation, sure. But sitting at a computer? And just like, here comes the joke. Got to have 20 jokes by by noon. That's when the staff meeting is. Can you imagine? astonishing. Yeah. But Bob Hope must have liked this guy's, you know, Bob Hope must have liked this guy's jokes. He's the only, uh, Roger Price is the only writer that Bob takes with him to his like post VE day tour of Europe. Oh, wow. All these USA, USO stops in the UK and France and wherever. Hey, this is Bob. Roger Price wrote my jokes, Hope. And, uh, he's coming, he's coming out with, uh, he's coming out with topical jokes for every, like every place the plane lands. Yeah. Fritz includes a joke that he had to write the day FDR died. Here, write some jokes about FDR's death (laughs) and the war still going on, of course. Yeah, in the middle of World War II. And so it's the, the example he gives, which I guess Bob Hope liked, is kind of a non-joke where he's like, 
suddenly President Truman's in here and he's got, he's, he suddenly takes over FDR's hand at the poker table and he looks at his cards and he's got Admiral Nimitz and he's got Dwight D. Eisenhower, General Eisenhower. And, you know, he names off all these military bigwigs. Look at that hand. He can't lose. He's all in. So the joke is, our military is so good, we will beat Japan. You know, it's, it's not, Great joke. Not, not, not a super subversive joke. <laughs> but, it's a, but, but it's a big applause. Yeah, exactly. And everybody goes like, yay! You get clapped her. Eisenhower! <laughs> <laughs> Do more Nimitz jokes. <laughs> After the war, Roger Price comes home and he has a nightclub act where he's, he's a comedian, but he's, he's, a, you know, he's such a smart guy. He's doing kind of this faux academic lecturer mm-hmm. gag that a lot of these guys would do in the 50s, sometimes with a fake German accent. Yeah, right. You know, they'd cut a record and it would be Professor von Schmickenlooper or something. In a weird way, this was a, a kind of heyday for smart comedy. Yes. Nichols and May and, you know, comedy records were coming out. It was a it was a little bit highbrow. It was. Uh, and it was definitely like aimed at a, at, a, at a youth audience who, you know, had college degrees or, or were in college and liked to hear kind of smart references and smart jokes. Yeah. It wasn't body. It was, it was erudite. Like, yeah. Red Fox invented like, the like comedy the record and, you know, so there was a, there was kind of a separate tier of, uh, of more earthy humor, Yeah, but really the, you know, then it was just like rock and roll. Bob Newhart discovered that. and was like, what if this had, uh, you know, no sex jokes. In right. It. What if I sit and pretend to talk on the phone to someone else? <laughs> I mean, people would sit and listen to a half hour of that. What's that, Mabel? <laughs> right. Say, you say what now? And then they would flip <laughs> the record and it would be like, oh, he's doing it again. But this time he's talking to a window washer who's late or whatever. Uh, in his, in his, uh, in Roger Price's nightclub act, he would often have a chalkboard because this was a common kind of entertainment before TV. You would go to see a guy do a chalk talk. And he would impress you with his funny or clever drawings on an easel or a chalkboard. This is between strippers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think there was a burlesque kind of thing where a cartoonist would come out and do some kind of naughty chalk talk. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I, like, I don't know what kind of jokes he's doing, but it's definitely the groundwork for Droodles because he's doing these funny, simple drawings that get a quick laugh. Um, he's even, he gets cast in a Broadway review, so maybe he can sing. He, he knows Gary Moore, so suddenly he's hosting panel shows on radio and TV. And uh, when he gets a book deal to write one of these kind of quickie comedy books that is everywhere in the 50s, it's called In One Head and Out the Other. And <laughs> there are two things to know about this book. One is that it spawned one of the most famous comic catchphrases of the 50s. I had one grunge but the eggplant over there. See, you're laughing already. <laughs> I guess th- this became like a, this, you know, nonsense sentence became a hit in nerd circles. So, you know, sci-fi and pulp fans would always be saying to each other, I had one grunge, put the eggplant over there. Sure. And then the Mad Magazine guys got a hold of it and just put it everywhere. Right. So like a Harvey Kurtzman era Mad Magazine would be full of, I had one grunge, put the eggplant over there jokes. People rolling in the aisles. Well, I, I think originally it was like, oh, I remember that reference to yeah, that thing right, people right. were saying, but you know, kids would get it and be like. It's just some hip uh, doodad language. Yeah, they think it's a Mad Magazine creation. And if you tell a kid something is funny, they will just... Do you remember the Simpsons where Bart is reading an old Mad Magazine and he's like, you know, he's he loves that they're making jokes at Spiro Agnew's expense? He's like, ah, <laughs> Spiro Agnew. Like they're roasting that Spiro Agnew guy again. He must work there. It's one of... I mean, one of my favorite jokes that, uh, that drives my daughter crazy and all of her friends as well is um, what's the difference between a chicken... What is the answer? One it's, leg it's both the same. <laughs> a, 
and uh, when, whenever my daughter, whenever my daughter would ask, uh, uh, tell me a joke, I'd always say, what's the difference between a chicken? And apparently the original joke was, what's the difference between a duck? My dad used to say bear. He said, what's the difference between a bear? And I think the answer would be because ice cream has no bones. Oh yeah. Is that a thing or did he just make that up? Well, I've never seen that, but, uh, one leg, both the same was always, and you know, and people would like, I mean, little kids will argue with you that that's not a sentence. Grownups just, just roll their eyes. It's like a grunch does a thing with the eggplant. Grunch. <laughs> that's dirty. <laughs> like there's two kinds of nonsense jokes. One, it kind of like you see that there's something to it and you make the connection and you laugh. Right. And then there's the one where you, you're waiting for that and then you see there's nothing to it and then you laugh. Like there's a Lewis Carroll equivalent of this joke that kind of has a, a twisted logic to it. And that's pleasing in a way like, uh, you know, the, what's the, why is a raven like a writing desk joke from Alice in Wonderland? Why? He, it's never answered in the book. Oh. But I think a response that maybe Carol suggested or, mm, I don't know, maybe one of his successors suggested was, because there's a B in both. And the joke is there's a B in both. That's a great joke. You're laughing. <laughs> but you know, you, there's a kind of a logic to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's the, the, an, the nonsense answer that really is, uh, I had one grunge, but the eggplant over there. Right. And you're like, Ah, that doesn't mean anything. But there was another chapter in this groundbreaking book about modern art. And it was, I'm sure it's him just taking the piss out of, you know, my kid could draw that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, Although this is a, this is truly like a sort of cream and bastards rise situation where he's just so clever at so many things that it's, it's impossible that he wouldn't get, I mean, only in today's culture would a guy like this not get recognized because his stuff is so, uh, mixed media and it's unclear. Yeah, like, on the internet, could this guy become a YouTube star doing his chalk talks, his Freudian chalk talks? I probably don't know. not. I mean, there are so many great animators and comic strips and weird little little things out there now. But the thing about these droodles is they're really pretty good. They're extremely clean humor. Like that, you could get most of these if you were seven years old, right? Or in seventeen hundred, really. Like, um, but they're also. Pretty great and funny to be 40. And the the very first droodle was the cleanest one probably of them all. It was just a, every droodle is a square panel. This appeared in this modern art chapter of this book. It was just a square panel with a horizontal line running through it. So you're looking at a bisected square, right. basically. And the caption was a scene in Texas. Right. So the joke is, you know, it's flat. There's no scenery. But, but the, so, uh, so looking at them, well, first of all, the square looks hand drawn. In every droodle. Yeah, the, the, the aesthetic of these comes from his nightclub chalk talks, I think. Like, you're supposed to imagine a guy drawing it on a, you know, napkin or something. But also the joke, it's a visual joke, but the joke is always in the caption. It's, yes. you, know, you never look at a droodle, the whole point is you look at it and don't know what it is. You look at it and it's so simple that it could almost be, it's, it's so general that it could, all, it could be many things at once. It's like a, it's like a drawn doodle. Yeah, and it, <laughs> in a way. If you think about it. Yeah, sure. But it doesn't immediately look like, you can't immediately look at it and be like, okay, this is going to have a picket fence or uh, this is something about a football helmet. Like you can't pick anything out of it. Right. It's very abstract. It's shapes. He says it was based on a game that he and his friends in Little Wyden, West Virginia used to play as kids called What Is It? Mm -hmm. Where they would draw a simple thing and then everybody would guess and be like, it's a bear from above. No, it's a uh, jar of mayonnaise that broke. Or, you know, and people would yell out, 
answers. And his friend, I mean, this is, it's more, more evidence that places like West Virginia is full of genius savants, but none of his, none of his friends shared in his publishing success. It sounds like. Uh, No, well, (laughs) I don't think they came up with it either. Like I was looking up, um, the historical precedents for Drudels. And it turns out you can go back to the Italian Renaissance. There's an artist named Agostino Caracci. He and his brother, uh, Amabile and their cousin started one of the first art academies of Renaissance Italy in their hometown of Bologna. And uh, there's a 16th century biography of them, maybe 17th century, by a guy named Malvasia that still survives today where it notes down what these guys were like and what their academy was like. And I guess one of their favorite pastimes was what Malvasia calls, calls line puzzles or pictorial guessing games that they gave to ladies and to friends. Uh-huh. So they're, they're flirting with doodles. Right. By means of just a few lines or marks, they would capture and evoke something complex. And Malvasia actually writes down, draws a few of these. So we have some Renaissance era droodles. Do they play? They're pretty, there's one that's, there's, they're pretty good. They're clearly doodles. There's one that's a horizontal line. So it's just like a map of Texas with a half circle sticking above it and then a little triangle next to it sticking above it. And it was called Medici's Bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a very naughty Catherine de Medici thing. No, it's a bricklayer finishing a wall. You're seeing oh, sure. it's the top of his head and his trowel, his trowel as he finishes the wall. But that's a straight up, that could be a 50s droodle. Sure. Um, the others are a little more um, maybe era specific. There's one that's like a, it's a, it looks like a, what's a table. It's a square with the bottom missing. So a three-sided square with a little... Podcast is not the right format for this. Oh, you're doing out. a good job. This, Roger Price could never have had a podcast. It's a square with a with So a imagine there's these six lines. <laughs> now wait for it. It's uh, elephants in your fridge. Uh, there's a table. It's like a table. It's a square missing the bottom. There's a little kind of sh- crooked shark's fin coming up from it at an angle from the top of it. And that is a, uh, a monk uh, falling asleep in the middle of his own sermon. Yeah. So you're seeing the pulpit and then the the monk's hood, yeah, like leaning back behind it. As you described it, my first guess was a monk doing something. Is that true? Yeah, so they they got me. I mean... You and Agostino Caracci (laughs) just have a thing. You're going to go out and buy his comedy records. Um, So, you know, after this was, after he put one of these doodles in a book, he pitched it as a newspaper column in 1953 that every day he would... Oh, yeah. It's like a far side. It's exactly the far side. I mean, it's, the, it's probably the predecessor of far side, a simple drawing with a quirky caption that makes you rethink it. And uh, so he had to come up with one of these a day. And it's exactly what you say. The picture is very simple. And because, the, you know, because it's got little text beneath it, your eye sees the picture first. You know, it matches exactly the way of the brain process. The joke works exactly the way the brain processes the visual. Because then you read the thing at the same time as the picture is sinking in, in a different part of your brain. And you've got two scripts. You've got like what my brain assumes these boxes are. And then you look and you're like, oh, hey. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com start uh there's a few different kinds of jokes should we should we walk through yeah. a, a few typical droodles so the future can recreate these as they let's do as they scrape I them think, into their i think futurelings sand. are Futurelings are getting this, but they may, you know, it may be that the square is novel to them because they live in a in a four dimensional universe. I'm sure they have a stick and a dirt and dirt. Hmm, interesting. Is that presumptuous of me? Yeah, you don't think it's possible that all of the world's forests and bushes all burned in the Great Cataclysm <laughs> and they live just in a stickless world? If they're non corporeal being, they, beings, they can beam droodles into one another's um, aura, oh, auras. Okay, I get uh, it. But I just assume, like, we, we keep describing these things to the future that they could not reproduce, you know? Yeah, right. Like, think how many, think of the hundreds of things you need to invent to get to Milli Vanilli. It's going to be very hard to build a turbo encabulator based <laughs> on our descriptions. <laughs> but here's a case where if you have a stick and dirt, yeah. you're good to go, guys. Uh, and some kind of pseudopod that you can hold the stick with. Uh, so describe some droodles. So uh, often they will be... Uh, a easy to understand thing from a novel or unusual angle. Like you'll, there'll be a, there'll be two vertical lines, like a, a, a path going up and down and then little, two little circles on each side of the line across from each other. And that will be. How do you do these penis? <laughs> what are those four things growing? <laughs> oh, knot holes, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's a bear climbing a tree, but from the back. Oh. You're seeing his four little paws. Good one. There, uh, another time, it's a, it's a line bisecting the, pe- the square up and down, and then four little bumps coming out of the side of it all next to each other. This is the inside view of Napoleon's coat. Yes, his hand. Because normally you see the fingers disappearing. Now you're right. seeing the opposite of that, which is a typical comedic technique, a reversal. Sometimes it's an unusual cropping. The most famous drudel of all time uh, shows a kind of a weird parallelogram wedge coming in from the side, like you're seeing the side of a cliff coming in from the left side with a much smaller triangle rising up from the bottom of the square. And it's a, what is it? A ship arriving too late to save a drowning witch. That's right. Which was immortalized for a new generation when Frank Zappa named a album after it in 1982. Right. Um, and put, and made that the cover. And I think a lot of people that were fans of that album and fans of Frank Zappa didn't really get that it was a droodle. It just seems like a modern art. You, uh, you immediately can what see what it? a droodle would be, right. but you didn't, would not understand. You could not extrapolate a daily newspaper feature from it. Yeah. Um, that was, that one was famous even in its time, I guess, uh, apparently Price's penthouse apartment in New York had a giant version of ship arriving say, too late to save a drowning witch in black and white tile. In the entryway. A long time before the Zappa. I think predating Zappa, yeah. It's amazing to imagine a time in American history when a droodle could sweep the nation. (laughs) It was a 50s were a time of fads. Right. And And uh, this is something you could show a grandmother, you could show a little kid, you could take to the office. It feels a little subversive. Uh, yeah. So it was a youth culture thing. Here's Newsday. Teens have gone hog wild for droodles. The parka and dungarees set... (laughs) 
<laughs> considers, it more, with it. <laughs> considers it more important for a cool cat to have a bunch of the spring 1954 version of droodles in his pocket than folding money. You'd rather have the latest droodles, the spring then, collection, than folding money. Wow. Uh, well, think about that. You know, a, cu- a couple of quarters in your pocket for a for an egg cream, jingle and, jingle, and some droodles. Imagine that they want to have the new droodles too. You know that it's right. it's the kind of thing where hey, have you seen the new one? What's the latest droodle? Uh, another unusual cropping droodle. Just to to go back to the witch. Uh, there's four narrow um, rectangles coming in from all four sides of the square, north, south, east, and west, and they all meet in the center in a tiny circle. Have you seen this one? Hmm. You want to guess? Uh, describe it again. Four very skinny rectangles coming in from the north, south, east, and west of the panel, meeting in the middle at a tiny circle. Uh, it look, kind of looks like a crosshairs or the, something. Uh, the flag of New Mexico. <laughs> it does look like the flag of New Mexico. <laughs> or four elephants inspecting a grapefruit. <laughs> a lot of it is this 50s elephant joke thing where the, the punchline is kind of an anti-joke. Yeah. You, you think it's going to be something that exists, that, like there's a puzzle to solve, and the joke is you could never say that a ship would be arriving to save a drowning witch. Well, and this or is, that elephants would be inspecting a great This ship. is one of the things that's confusing about this book because there are a lot of reader submissions here and there are a lot of... The great droodles are ones where the captions are super simple. Like there's what looks like within the droodle a, a V-neck sweater with a button, right? It is, okay. is what it looks like. There's a, there's a big V coming down from the top yeah. and then a single dot. And it looks like a V-neck sweater with a button. And it's called Rocket Ship Landing on a Dime. Now that is something that is simple, but you would never guess it. But mm-hmm. then here's one which looks like um, like it's a big rectangle, sort of cattywampus in the middle, a line across the bottom that looks like a horizon, and a little black dot at the bottom of the rectangle kind of connecting it to the horizon. Between the horizon and the parallelogram thing? Yeah, okay. and the caption is, Rich termite who has purchased his own cross tie, and which is like a, a railroad, railroad cross tie, and is taking it home to make sure it is never treated with inland creosote. Well, that is not funny, and also not. I mean, and I feel like this might be. Do you think it's a topical gag, or we just we just know that termites will not eat creosote wood? Well, it's under the it's under the heading Madison Avenue droodles. Oh, this is an ad it's for a, inland creosote. Yeah, it's an ad. This is something that happened. They were so big that multiple companies would license droodles. Like Lucky Strike did a whole ad campaign. With uh, droodles. Yeah, I think there'd be like three kind of vertical rectangles st- standing straight up, but the one on the on a horizon and the one on the right, the, the two are hollow and the one on the right is filled in black. And I think it's like two cigarettes meet a nudist friend. Oh, See, he's that's not, hilarious. He's not wearing his outer He doesn't have his paper. paper. Yeah. Well, that maybe the Zappa fans of the late 60s, early 70s would have gotten the reference because they were all uh, parka and dungarees. <laughs> the parka and dungarees set? Maybe that's true. And it was kind of a nostalgia thing. Like Zappa kind of played with that, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like old culture stuff and, uh, you know, mixing in bubblegum pop and pop culture and comic books. Uh, a lot of them did have the long captions because, I mean, this one was an ad, but a thing you, people don't remember about droodles is that in the newspaper, you would see the thing and you would, you'd see the droodle and you'd see the caption, but then there would be a hundred words of funny text below the caption. Doing what? More for your money's worth. 
No, nothing, really. Just kind of a weird kind of 50s nonsense humor. One leg both the same? One leg both the same, basically. Kind of proto-Monty Python stuff that would be like, now this termite's got a long road to hoe ahead of him, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and there, yeah. it would be a little story with, <laughs> with kind of odd non-jokes about, you know. And then a duck comes out. Uh, so, and today when we think of Drudels, we do not remember right. the text, the block of text. That was turned out to be not necessary for the joke. Was this a thing where it was just like a reverberation of Dada, maybe? A, 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 that nonsense itself was kind of a, a, a nonconformist or anti-authoritarian yeah, element? Uh, I mean, Dada really is kind of the confluence of art and comedy anyway. Yeah. Like think about Duchamp being like, I'm going to turn this urinal upside down and call it fountain. And shock the shock the blue hairs. I'm still know? shocked. So a lot of the yeah, I think a lot of the the subsequent kind of nonsense brain breaking comedy that came after that. I have a little. I have a thin comedy book from the 30s I bought called "I Will Not Imitate Four Hawaiians," and it's based on this guy's popular radio act that he would do, where he would explain in great detail in kind of chalk talk comic lecturer fashion how he would imitate one, two, or three Hawaiians. But he'll be damned if he's going to imitate four Hawaiians. This was the whole bit? Yeah. It lasted 30 minutes? (laughs) I guess. The book has other stuff in it. But but yeah, and you really can see Dada in that, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, I do not know what this is, but I'm laughing. And there's (laughs) like, that's kind of the dominant mode of comedy still, honestly, right? I don't know why I'm laughing at this thing. Um, Here are some other classes of Drudel. Two simultaneous jokes. Sometimes it would tell you what the punchline was, and then it would give you a little bonus joke. It would be like, but what if it was also... Like there's a giant circle with two little um, kind of curly feet things coming out the bottom, mm-hmm. like little socks coming out the bottom. Uh, and the thing says, bubblegum champ. Like the kid's blown a bubble so big, you can just oh, see his, right. you can just just see his, see his shoes feet. out the bottom. What's the second joke? Uh, small boy throwing a baseball at you. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly there's a, the switch in scale gets you and it, the picture changes without changing. Right. Why waste the, the second opportunity for a droodle? Just draw the shoes slightly differently and it's a different one. Spread that after two day, over two days, Roger. Um, um, so my question for you is, these all seem fun and easily doable. Do you think if we had, if we drew some squares here that we could draw 10 droodles in a half an hour? I think that's the appeal of it. Yeah. I feel like we could. That you're, you're all, you know, you and your friends have seen this and you can make up your own, you know, like anytime there's a joke fad, knock, knock jokes, elephant jokes. There's a lot of these forgotten ones. Horse walks into a bar. Yeah. What to do with a dead cat. Anytime there's like these templated jokes, it just makes, makes humor approachable for, for kids, for young people, for newcomers, for unfunny people. A priest, a rabbi, and an imam. <laughs> right. Like for that, you'd have to invent a story. Yeah. But really for a knock-knock joke, if you can think of two words that kind of sound the same. In the 50, I think in the 60s, there was a popular set of jokes about a wind-up doll. Have you heard about the Fidel Castro wind-up doll? You, you wind him up and he insults America. It's a great joke. So there's no joke, but you, once you've got the format, you can right. bug your buddies at work just kind of on your own. You know, like just think of a public figure and you've got a joke. Um, it's the format more than the joke that's the joke. Exactly. I mean, you can, and you could do. It just uh, makes it easier to understand. It's like, it's like a set of Ikea instructions for making a joke, really. Because you've seen eight examples and you're like, oh, 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 I see what these all have in common. Right. Here's number nine. So the difference between a great droodle and a bad droodle is really evident looking through this book. Yes, you can see there's classics and then there's. 
just like, oh, it's four guys sitting around coming, four anoraks sitting around coming up with droodles. Well, the way in which it coalesces is important, I think. Sometimes, sometimes a droodle can be in four dimensions. Like you'll immediately see that something happened just before or just after. Like the boy throwing a, 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 a baseball at you. Um, there are kinetic droodles. Like, yeah, exactly. Like they won't move, but suddenly when you get the punchline, a story will appear. And that's very pleasing. Like yeah. uh, there's one that's a horizontal line and then a little black triangle coming out each side of the line with its point at the line. And uh, it's a man in a tuxedo who stood too close to the front of an elevator. So suddenly the whole story appears in your mind and you can see the doors close. You can oh, see his ties. the two to three seconds oh, before this guy's poor bow tie really guy. Really great. But then there are these off model ones. There are ones that are kind of like um, trying something different. Like there are ones that are logic puzzles. Like there'll just be an empty circle hmm. and it will say Lincoln Penny before 1809. There were no Lincoln Pennies before 1809. I assume that's the year of Abraham Lincoln's birth. Right. Right. Well, so, right. well, of course there weren't any Lincoln. So Pennies. before he was born, it would have just been an empty circle, you know? Lol. A lot of them are puns. Like you pointed out, didn't you read one that was kind of a pun? Uh, no, I don't remember. But these are very easy to see. Like there will be like a, a twisted kind of spaghetti going through the frame, uh, like a, a path with two circles inside it. And it will say, two blood corpuscles who loved in vain. But vain will be spelled with an E. You know, my brain doesn't register puns. Uh, even when they're explained. When I started talking, did, did it just turn into Charlie Brown teacher? And then two or there will be like a club, like a suit of cards, a suit from a deck of cards club with it's black on one side and white on the other. And it will say integrated club. Yeah. At least that's a it's good stuff. Pop culture reference. No, that's, and, and at the time, especially 1954, that would have been like. That's very cutting. That's a little edgy, edgy right? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that was banned in a lot of Southern papers. <laughs> Uh, but you can see the mechanism that makes a lot of these, and that's why they become homemade. Like there will be a reversal. Like you'll see droplets go up, water droplets upside down going into a square and it'll say a water faucet inhaling or, or just a long rectangle. And it will say an accordion that's been cleaned and pressed. <laughs> like the wrinkles are out of it. I like that one. Yeah. See, there, there are, there whims, the best ones are whimsical. So now how did droodles go from being, uh, this thing that like, uh, the cool kids on Vespas were uh, carrying in their back pockets to a thing that needs to be explained for a half an hour on a podcast. Half an hour is very optimistic <laughs> at this point. I think <laughs> They did what a lot of popular newspaper features did back then. They started to become little paperbacks, you know, right. Pogo and Peanuts and all these newspaper features, you know, those mad magazine paperbacks. It was a way to repurpose already published material for a new audience. And they sold like crazy. And to this day, you go into any used bookstore and there'll be a full shelf of mad paperbacks a full shelf of Pogo, Peanuts. And this was true of Droodles. They uh, were recollected into books that sold a combined million and a half copies wow. for a few years in the 50s. They were in all these ads. They were, you know, he, they were licensed to cocktail napkins. Sure. So at your party, the drink would be set on a cute little Droodle and all your guests would ooh or ah. Um, there was even a 13-week Droodles panel show on NBC where a bunch of funny, you know, Carl Reiner and a handful of other funny comedians would try to guess the droodle. And Don Pardo was the announcer. Saturday Night Live, Don Pardo. So, uh, so yeah, that would be hilarious. A bunch of comedians looking at it and coming up with funny answers. And it was... Uh, but it, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't go it, to multiple seasons. Once, yeah, after the 13 weeks when it was a summer fill-in for something, it did not go. But it was a pretty big hit and it was apparently a good show. People would send in their droodles so they had... Audience submissions. And this is a, Groucho Marx, I bet, appeared. That seems right out of his wheelhouse. That seems very, um, uh, that would be a very good gift for them. That seems a little ambitious. Like, uh, 
you know, right. if, if Carl Reiner is your dream guest. But I mean, Groucho Marx when he was 79. Right? <laughs> um, and honestly, that's one of the legacies of, of Droodles. Um, that kind of funny audience participation panel show. Uh, Roger Price died of lung cancer in 1990 at the age of 72. In 1990, okay. Uh, a while ago. Uh, he died pretty young. He never had another big book after 1970. He, you know, he had a couple big best-selling comedy books um, about his philosophy of avoidism or about how all Americas were, were um, Americans were turning into rubes with a mm-hmm. double O. He was one of these guys who missed the smart Adlai Stevenson 50s, I think, and did not like hee-haw. But he had so many... <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, except except wh- how are, are you in the hee-haw generation and I, thinking this? I love that Camelot humor. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Newhart, baby. <laughs> but, you know, he did for the last, you know, the, the post-Droodle 20 years of his life, he did corporate entertainment, you know, oh, yeah. showed up in front of a bunch of... He did his blackboard thing. He I did bet. his blackboard thing in front of a corporate Except crowd. he was doing a whiteboard. Now. Wrote for the National Lampoon. He became a pretty successful movie character actor. In the movie of Mame with Lucille Ball, he has a very funny bit as a nudist. That's, and that's, oh, yeah. if you watch the movie, he's, that's Roger Price. He's in I one of the, it. he's in one of the Billy, this is right up your alley, the seventies culture. He was in one of the Billy Jack movies. Really? Yeah. And he's uh, I think he's one of the government scientists in the forgettable 1970s Disney movie, The Cat from Outer Space. How would you describe that as a forgettable movie? I know you love 1970s <laughs> Disney. This is the one where they couldn't even get Dean Jones. So it's Ken Berry from Mayberry RFD. <laughs> He had been married four times, all unsuccessfully, yeah. decided in his 70s he wanted a fifth wife, so he decided he would go to his ancestral home of Wales and put ads in all the papers. He's Welsh. Of course he's Welsh. He's got that. So yeah, it all goes back to Catherine Zeta-Jones, I guess. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't even about Roger Price. He, want, he put ads in all the papers saying he wanted a genuine, all caps, Welsh wife. He is tall, spare, age 56. He was actually 66 at the time. And just barely a millionaire. Humor, warmth, resilience required. So he goes to Wales, interviews these women, no dice. No dice. Goes to France, puts the same ad in, interviews women at his hotel, no dice. No dice. Sadly. But PSS continues to sell Mad Libs books like crazy and is finally bought by Penguin uh, and continues as a Penguin imprint for many years. Today, Penguin still publishes Mad Libs, except now they are about Infinity Stones and YouTube stars. (laughs) (laughs) I assume. I don't know. Are there Logan Paul Mad Libs? Probably. And of course he had to deal with, a, you know, the last 20 years of his life were putting down Droodle's knockoffs. Oh, just, he, he just got into the lawsuit game. Yes. Sending angry letters to the, the people who were printing Muggsies and Dribbles. And you might remember this, Zoom Doodles. Do you remember that the TV show Zoom did Droodles? I didn't. I, I did mean, not. I remember, I remember Zoom quite well, but I don't remember Zoom Doodles. I did not either, but he, uh, he hated Zoom for their Zoom doodles and sent them, you know, angry cease and desist. There are a lot of reasons for adults to have hated Zoom, but he, Zoom doodles. He has an unusual one. But the, I think the main legacy of doodles is that they're still widely used today in, uh, well, I mean, you know, it, this is a little niche. They're still used in academia, like scientists studying humor or cognition or both will almost always show people a, a series of doodles and huh. say, which of these makes sense, you know, Devise 10 captions for this. Sure. And the, and the guy that's always like, it's two people having sex in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's like a Rorschach test, but yeah. for, for humor and, cog- and cognitive testing instead of emotional issues. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Gary, Gary Larson and all those Farsight imitators doing a very simple pen and ink style um, where the caption, and the caption is sometimes a non-joke. If you remember the famous Farsight that says, you know, it's a series of squiggles and then at the bottom it just says, Cow tools. Right. 
And it's an infamous <laughs> farce because he just got thousands of letters by people who did not get the joke. And he just thought if cows had tools, they would kind of suck, right? Yeah, what would so they look like and what would they do? They would be poorly made. So really, it's a drool. The whole joke is that there's no joke. But, you know, in the 80s at least, that got hundreds of angry letters to the Sacramento Bee and the Kansas City Star. Well, that's the problem. In the 50s, you would never even think to write a letter to the guy that does droodles. But by the 80s, it was, you know, all those people were tweeting at him. And that concludes Droodles. Entry. Droodles. <laughs> Droodles. We should have been saying that all along. Entry 382.AC0212. Certificate number 4H261 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings, which was a square with a long uh, l- bisecting line that looks like a horizon with, um, taus- with. Uh, with a tousle of, uh, of, <laughs> of, of opie hair? Sort of blonde opie hair. Like r- rough, rough sort of constitution blonde hair and, uh, and a winning smile. And mine, at John Roderick, which was just a what horizon. Is, yeah, what is your just, doodle? Just a flat horizon. Really? Yeah. It's not like a close-up of a <laughs> herringbone jacket or something? Uh, I also maintained an Instagram account under the same name, which is 100% full of droodles. And you can uh, email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You read our social media. You will laugh so hard you'll do a little droodle in your pants. Oh, boo. Uh, go to the Futurelings Facebook page, the Omnibus Futurelings, where they will be bisecting and dissecting this episode as they do all episodes. They're going to be very, they're going to be angrily trying to recreate all the droodles we mentioned on the show, like, and trying to figure them out. Now that you have suggested it, they certainly will. Uh, can you and, reverse engineer a droodle? Can you, given the caption, can you draw the thing? And make it funny. Yeah, that would be like an Eldward. I like it. Like, that should be the game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. Just now for social media, just have a YouTube star describe droodles <laughs> and then the best one gets posted. Don't forget to like and share. Woo! You can send us things. Now, someone on our site said that you and I already have all the things in the world and that people should start sending him things. Here's what you should do. Send us the things and we'll decide if he should get them. There you go. We will redistribute the things. Send us whatever things you want to send us. Ken has brought a big pile of things here to the table. I, I, I got the mail yesterday. And we, what, what are those? There are a couple of we have maroon a couple t-shirts. Arizona State Sun Devils t-shirts. Did we, did we accidentally say University of Arizona Sun Devils at some point or something? Why are Maybe, we getting Sun Devils t-shirts? I'm not sure. Are you going to, are you going to rock your Sun Devil t-shirt? Well, they come in extra large and triple extra large. So what so you they should, think one of us is a is a huge man in a rascal scooter. That's what you should know about years. us is I am an extra large and Ken is a medium. So John's going to get the extra large, which will fit him. Yeah. And I will get the triple extra large, which I will um, use as a fort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have adventures in. Anyway, send us delightful things like this uh, to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. John, look how big the shirt is. That is a... Look at the big so shirt. big. I was going to suggest you use it to, um, to like cover a chair, but it may be too big for that. It's a, it's for a divan. It's for a love seat. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the subway guy holding up the giant jeans. Like, look at, look how much weight I lost, John. Look at this. Yeah. 
Don't, so you're big. not that guy. Don't be Jared. No, I, I don't share all of his interests. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the eventual catastrophe may never come, may be averted for some time at the very least. But if the worst comes soon, if I'm found in the wreckage holding a gigantic Arizona State Sun Devils t-shirt, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back at you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.